This is Cindy Bowen with Lesson 3, Session 2 of The Kingdom at Rodney Pike Church of God. We're talking tonight about the third of the triad of parables Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 13, describing the kingdom of heaven. We've seen that it's like a, a relationship, but we're picking up in verse 47 tonight. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels and threw the bad away. Jesus is talking not about fish, but about men. And God, God had a big plan, not just for the salvation of the Jews, but for the salvation of the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And aren't you glad that God's heart and the net that is the kingdom of heaven were big enough and reached far enough and lasted long enough to catch me and you 2,000 years later? 2,000 years after Jesus told the parable of the king, of the kingdom to the disciples, the kingdom of God is about a relationship and God is so unlimited, so boundless that he never runs out of the capacity to reach for us, to reach for mankind. He isn't content to have had great Christians, people like Billy Graham's or Martin Luther's. He also wants little old me and little old you. We talked last week about God being on a search Ever since that day that Adam disobeyed him and fell into sin and fellowship was broken in the garden, that God has been searching uh, for his man. He's been looking for someone to fellowship with. The heart of God didn't just want Adam, but he wanted all of Adam's kids too. You see, believers gathered under the covenant of Jesus, the church, wasn't plan B after the nation of Israel didn't work out as the people of God. Jesus, the Savior of the whole world, was always what was on God's mind. Let's look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, verses 5 and 6. This is a messianic prophecy. This was 700 years before Jesus' ministry, and you can hear his voice as the prophet says, and now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord. My God shall be my strength. Verse six. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. God's plan was always for a worldwide net. Jesus said in John 8 and 12, I am the light of the world, not just the Jews, not just the 12 disciples walking with him. I'm the light of the world. And he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. 
The Apostle Paul said it was a mystery revealed by Holy Spirit that God had always planned for Jew and Gentile alike to be one in Jesus. God never looks at us and sees the signs over the doors of the churches we attend. He sees a body joined together, a body of Christ. If you read on in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, you can see the plan laid out. Paul wrote, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was granted and graciously entrusted to me to proclaim to the Gentiles the unending, boundless, fathomless, incalculable, exhaustless riches of Christ, wealth which no human being could have searched out. Verse 9, also to enlighten all men and make plain to them what is the plan regarding the Gentiles, providing for the salvation of all men, of the mystery kept hidden through the ages and concealed until now in the mind of God, who created all things by Christ Jesus. The purpose is that through the church, the complicated, many-sided wisdom of God and all of its infinite variety and innumerable aspects might now be made known to the angelic rulers and authorities, the principalities and powers in the heavenly sphere. The net was always bigger than man imagined. Church, you're part of something bigger than the little building you sit in on Sunday mornings. You are in the spiritual realm, something so big, so wow big. God has a plan to show you off to angels to show them how wise he is. When Jesus told the parable of Matthew 13, he didn't say the kingdom of heaven's like a net, period. End of story. That's all he wrote. Let's read that again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when they when it was full, they drew to shore. They drew it to shore. And they sat down and they gathered the good into vessels in the but through the battle way. Fishermen never put their nets in the water and row back to shore and go on with their daily lives, forgetting that the net is out there in the waters. The net has to be pulled in to get the fish. And church, ready or not, the day is coming when the kingdom of heaven net will be pulled in. And that, that the, the kingdom will, will come to shore, that the nets will be gathered in, and, and the, the time of pulling it close is at hand. That is the precious promise and a sober warning. It's the great hope of the church. Jesus is coming again. Hallelujah. Um, John 14, 1 and 3 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The struggle doesn't continue forever, church. 
the net's going to be drawn in. Jesus is going to bring us to where he is. There will come an end to the age of the church. And you have to be ready when he comes. It's a promise. I don't have time tonight to go through a detailed study of eschatology. But Jesus is going to come to the church. The word rapture isn't found in our Bible. But the concept is. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul again writes. That. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will also bring with him through Jesus those who have fallen asleep in death. For this we declare to you by the Lord's own word, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall in no way proceed or have any advantage over those who have fallen asleep in, him, in death. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord, the great hope of the church. Jesus isn't leaving us here. Jesus hasn't turned away and not paying attention to the things going on into the in the world the lord is waiting and he is patient and kind to allow people come to come into the kingdom for to allow the fish to get in the net he's he's patiently awaiting his harvest but a day will come when that net will be pulled in we don't have time to fully flesh out all the scriptures that deal with Jesus' return. That would be a really good study, though, when you have time to sit down with your Bible and your concordance. But I do want to look at, at, at a few things that Jesus said as he walked around the temple area. His disciples were just wowed by the great stones of the temple and the ornate structures that they saw all around them in Jerusalem that day. And his answer is very plain. He says to them in mommy's own version, Boys, don't get too excited. There's not one stone going to remain on another in this place. And we know that that happened in, in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. That all the Romans came and as they, as they destroyed the temple, as they wiped out uh, the, the rebellion that was going on in Jerusalem, they tore down the temple stone by stone. All that's left today is uh, what we call the welling wall that was part of an outer wall around the temple. The temple itself, not one stone remains. But that day, when Jesus laid that bombshell on the disciples, they went back to the Mount of Olives, and as they sat there looking at the city, Inquiring minds just wanted to know the scoop. Matthew 24 and 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am Christ. And they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Does any of that sound familiar to you? Like maybe you've seen these things on the evening news? Let's go on. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Church, don't get discouraged when the fire turns up. If you're not celebrated by the world around us, know that Jesus was not celebrated by the world. But Jesus' words, they overtake us and they take hold of us. They will come to pass fully. And that many places in the world today, claiming the name of Christ is signing your death on death warrant. Verse 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached and all the world is a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. Folks, there's a net and it's getting pulled ashore. If you read on in Matthew 24, Jesus tells his disciples that no one knows that day or hour. uh, Only the Father knows. That's verse 36. In verse 42, he tells his disciples, Watch therefore, for you do not know when your Lord is coming. In verse 44, he says it again, Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. He talks about a faithful servant and an evil servant. There's reward for faithfully following the Master's instruction. But for the one who says, Oh, my Master's delaying his coming, and begins indulging himself and abusing the other servants, there's a casting out and a losing everything. Jesus talks in the chapter to follow in in Matthew 25 what we call the parable of the virgins. There are ten ten virgins, ten young women who are ready for the wedding party and they're all wearing their festive clothing and they all have lamps but five are wise and five are foolish and the wise virgins have extra oil but the foolish ones don't want to carry it. It's just too inconvenient to carry extra oil. They have some playing to do and the oil might slosh out. No, they they can't be bothered with carrying the extra oil. The explanation is you have to be ready. You can't rely on someone else to maintain your relationship with God. You have to carry your own oil. You have to buy your own field. And it continues on in Matthew 25 to the parable of the talents. You have to do something with what the master gives you. He trusts you. So don't bury your little bit in the ground. He doesn't require you to have a mega ministry. He doesn't require you to go to the ends of the earth as a missionary. But he does expect you to be faithful where he placed you. There are so many scriptures like this. It was hard not to try to pack all of them in. But the, but the message is clear. Church, it's a promise. Jesus is coming. 
But it's also our warning. When I read the prophetic pronouncement about Jesus' return, I don't see anything that must be fulfilled before he steps up onto the door sill of heaven and comes back. We found uh, our treasure in the field. The kingdom is that treasure hidden in the field. And we found him and we've bought the field with joy. And, and Jesus is like the merchant who gave up himself as a price for the, of the, of the great pearl that he has found that's of so much value. The kingdom of heaven is a divine relationship. But the relationship must be maintained. Ask any married couple you know. What happens if they don't maintain the relationship? If it's not maintained, it will be cold and it will die. I find I can go to church out of habit and never engage the heart of God. And my relationship grows cold and withers. And that is a great tragedy. Matthew 13, 47 again. Again, the, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast in the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full and they drew it to shore, they sat down and they gathered the good into vessels and threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire where there will be wailing and gnashing in teeth. Church, we have to live in the tension of going all in, of buying the field over and over again. This is a promise and it's a warning. Now, I don't want to leave this short series with wailing and gnashing of teeth, though. Let me remind you that God is so merciful. He waits for us. Second Peter 3 and 9 tells us that we're waiting because he's, he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Isaiah 62, Jesus came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, but the day of his vengeance of his God. The 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 favor of God is an acceptable year, a long period of time, but his anger is, is short. Psalms 30 and 5 says his anger lasts but for a minute, or a moment rather, and his favor is for life. Church, maintain your love relationship with God and you don't have to worry about the wrath. Now let's get our landing year on. We're ready to land this series. The net is still out in the water, church. And since it's out there, what do you think the Lord might want us to do about it? If you listen close, I still believe you'll hear uh, his voice whispering in the wind, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If we know that the kingdom net is drawing near the shore, it seems like we ought to get our poles out and get our bait and see if we can't take some folks to heaven with us. Don't get mad at me for this. But you know, it's not really your pastor's job to go out and win the lost. He's supposed to shepherd the flock. That's us. Sheep are the ones who make more sheep. You rub elbows with people that our pastor doesn't know and may never encounter. Did you ever hear that saying, you'll never look into the eyes of someone that Jesus doesn't love? 
When the Lord brings people into your lives, let me challenge you to ask him for opportunities to witness to them about how good the Lord has been to you. Uh, There are people at your workplace I can't get to, but you can. And, you know, we've had lots of teaching about witnessing over the years. There have been books written. There have been series made up. We went through the, the Ray Comfort way of the master one year witnessing tips we've left tracks in in bathrooms at work and at gas station pumps and uh we we've done all of that and if that's working for you go for it keep doing it i love the prayer tent outreach personally that's my baby i love the party in the park and the party at the pike and the opportunities the the dinners and the fellowships when we invite people to come and Fellowship with the church. These are evangelistic opportunities we have. Invite someone to come to church with you. Statistics say that people don't come because people aren't asked. And, or, or maybe even invite them to go to coffee with you instead. Show them the love of God. Even if they aren't particularly easy to love, go buy gas for somebody who needs it. That young mama with the, with the babies in the, in the grocery store trying to counter change to buy her diapers, why don't you buy them for her? Maybe it's that uh, homeless person that you see and he looks kind of hungry. Be brave enough to reach out and offer him a sandwich. Go ahead and show people the love of God. I've come to believe, church, that the best bait to use when you go fishing for Jesus is just to live your faith out loud. Live it in your everyday life. So when others at your workplace are complaining, when they're moaning and groaning, you are choosing to speak faith and to speak hope. And when dark times come or trouble, you walk in peace and joy instead of having a meltdown like everyone else. You are a witness of the power of Jesus. Live differently. And when people are hurting or in crisis or their lives are hanging by a thread, be ready because they're going to know who to come to. They're going to come to you. 1 Peter 3 and 15 says, Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. Church, let me leave you as we close this last session. A scripture that is the heartbeat of the church. And it's your commission to go be the fisherman. Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. God bless you, and thank you for joining my Bible study.